Good morning to you. Good morning. You know, uh, as a pastor, I feel that I'm probably one of the lo- most uh, blessed people on the face of the earth. And uh, so many great experiences that uh, we get to be a part of. Uh, let, me, let me share with you one of the greatest privileges I have. And that is, uh, it's very exciting to me and fascinating to me to hear how people come to faith in Jesus Christ. It is, it's just glorious. It's amazing. Um, uh, when I go up to people or I'm interacting with people, and one of the questions I like to ask them is, you know, tell me, how, how, did, you, how did you come to know the Lord? And so people start in telling me these stories, and it just draws me in. I just can't get enough of it. Uh, I get tired of cable movies, and they just keep rerunning the same thing all the time. But I never tire of hearing how people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, because the, while the circumstances and specific details may be slightly different, there are often common experiences and elements uh, behind how they came to Christ. Uh, as I uh, begin to listen to people's story, I'm always uh, humbled by the fact that uh, how is it that the King of King and Lord of Lords would be wanting to reach down and to reach each one of us. Uh, it's amazing to me the breadth and the width and the depth that uh, God has expanded his gospel to. Uh, for example, uh, as a sovereign and mighty God, he reaches out to the rich, he reaches out to the poor. He reaches out to the powerful and he reaches out to the powerless. He reaches out to those who have a lot and those who have less and, and, and everybody in between. Uh, I'd have to say probably looking out among this group, we probably would consider ourselves somewhere in between, all right? And uh, that's where we are. But God has taken time. He has taken, made the effort to reach out to all of us. And that's one of the most amazing things to me. So when we come to the book of Daniel and as we begin to wrap this up, I want us to see how is it that God, the, as mighty and as sovereign as he is, that he would reach out to people. How does he do this? How does he go about doing this? How does he get people to acknowledge him as God? Um, And when we see this coming about, we begin to really begin to appreciate the fact that when we begin to our relationship with God, that we move from being people who are hopeless to people who are hope-filled, to people who are hope-filled. Because with God... In our lives, that's the way that we can live life. And so it's just a a wonderful experience. Now, when we come to the book of Daniel, it shows us how Almighty God of the Bible reaches out uh, to uh, different people. And uh, so in Daniel chapter 6, verse starting with verse 16, we will begin our study this morning. Now, in in a way, we're going to wrap up the series on the book of Daniel uh, if you're into this, you can probably call this the series finale, the series finale. If you watch TV, you know that all the finales are going on now. All the final episodes are in. And so everybody's waiting for the next season. And so we're wrapping up the series on Daniel. And sometimes people ask me, says, you know, how do you pick this, what you're going to preach on? Why do you pick what you preach on? And it became clear to me as I was praying to the Lord that, you know, sometimes uh, in the Bible, we have to really see people that we can identify with. And let me put it this way. 
We're only covering the first six chapters of Daniel, all right? Because the rest of the book will deal with a lot of prophecy and that sort of thing. And we dealt with that in uh, Revelations and Daniel. So uh, what I was hoping was to come back to a book such as Daniel and so that we would see a series of snapshots, a series of photos, if you will. And the photos is a picture of people who are at work, who people who are at play, people who are in difficult situations, and to see how they react. Now, I also know that you and me, we like to see photos, right? We like to see photos. And we get a big kick out of looking at photos, and we're even more pleased when we see our picture in the photos, right? We, get a, we, get, we just you know, roar with laughter when we see our picture and we see ourselves in there. In the same way, when we come to the book of Daniel, especially the first six chapters, what are we seeing? We're seeing a series of snapshots. And I hope that as you look at these snapshots, you will begin to see, hey, that's me. That, that's me. That, that, I am right there. I can really identify. That's my boss. You know, that's my coworker. Those are the people I work with. And so as you begin to see this, then you begin to bond with it. And you begin to see how God really cares about us and what God wants us to do. He want, he knows, we know how God wants us to act and react to the situations that we are in. So hopefully that's why we are in the book of Daniel. And I hope that you've been able uh, to glean from it uh, different snapshots of how we should act and react. Now, as we go through this, I just want to review very quickly the, uh, where we've been. In chapter 1, we meet Daniel as a brilliant, gifted teenage captive of the Babylonian Empire. And boy, did he have a future. He was offered a very a promising government career. He showed signs, even back then, that he was devoted to God. And he wasn't going to sell his faith in order to succeed in the Babylonian system. If anything... He turned the tables and he said, the Babylonian Empire is going to have to match my terms and not vice versa. And so we see that in chapter one. In chapter two, Daniel is called upon to interpret and explain King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And the only reason that he's even able to do that is because of a special gifting that God had given to him. And so he interprets the dream and reaps the rewards uh, of that. Chapter 3, Daniel's is equally devoted friends are ordered to bow down before a statue created to receive uh, worship on behalf of King Nebuchadnezzar. But guess what? Because they are as devoted as Daniel, they refuse to bow down and they are cast into the fiery furnace. But they are marvelously and miraculously delivered from that. And then chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And he is uh, where he is driven to behave as an animal, but he is restored by God, and then he eventually exalts God. So those are the first four chapters. And so as you go about this, you might be able to say to yourself, I know people like that. I know people who are going through situations like this. People have fears. People have nightmares. People have visions. People have ideas going through their mind. And I see all of these things. And then in chapter 5, we are introduced to King Belshazzar, and his experience is more intense because during a feast and the banquet hall, a hand appears and starts writing a message on the wall. And so who they call upon? 
Ah, call upon Daniel. And Daniel comes in and he's able to translate and interpret this message. And the message was that Belshazzar was going to die and that the the Babylonian Empire would fall and be divided among the Medes and the Persians. Now, you think email was fast. Man, God's message was really fast because that very night, that very night, sure enough, Belshazzar's life was taken and Babylon fell. And so this is what happened in chapter uh, 5. Now then we come to chapter 6, okay? There's a new ruler, and his uh, title or name is Darius, and he is tricked into signing into law a decree that makes him a god for 30 days. I thought that was interesting. Why just 30 days? Why not 30 years, you know? Something like that. But he's made god with a little g for 30 days, and everybody is, com- is, is commanded to make their prayers and their worship and honoring towards him. All right? But there's a problem. What's the problem? Daniel refuses to go along. He just continues being devoted to God. He continues to pray to the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times a day. And so what happens is that Daniel then will have to be arrested and he will have to pay the price. And that's where we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 6. He's been accused. He has been found guilty. And so now he's about ready to be uh, thrown into the lion's den. So this brings up these questions. Then why did God allow faithful Daniel to be tossed in the den in the first place? All right. And then another question. Will Daniel survive? Another one. Would God deliver him? What would be the result if he is delivered? You see, the story goes on, and it gives us important snapshots of what can happen to God's servants. And so we'll pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6, verses 16 through 28. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, as we come together, we know, Lord, that your word, the things in it, have been recorded for our benefit. And Father, we know that It has been written for our edification so that, Father, when we also face similar situations, that, Father, we will know how to respond. We will know how to react. We pray, Father, that this time that we spend together in your word this morning will be a blessing to all. And that, Father, we see in it the glorious God that Daniel worshipped. We will see God in all your glory and all of your love and all of your mercy. We pray, Father, that this will stir us on to be the to play the part that has been assigned to us. We thank you again, Lord, for your word. We thank you so much for the life of Daniel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, where does our story begin? Well, it begins in cha- uh, chapter 6. And uh, it begins with a calamity or adversity, if you will. Uh, Darius was deeply, deeply distressed. If you look at verse 14... It says, then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. The law that he himself had signed in, had signed off on, was committing Daniel to a death sentence. Because it basically said that anybody who would pray to or honor anybody but him for the next 30 days, was to be punished. And the punishment was death. And when he realized that he was tricked into this, 
He was really distressed. He wanted to save his friend Daniel, and it was very wearing upon him. And so Dan- Darius was distressed. Then Darius had to throw Daniel into the lion's den, starting with verse 16. It says, Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Verse 18, Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. While while Darius had to do what he had to do, he didn't sit well with him. He couldn't eat. He couldn't enjoy anything that was brought before him to cheer him up. And he couldn't sleep. He was just that disturbed. And so he was in great distress. He was in, he was in a great calamity. He had great anxiety. His best, one of his best friends, his most able administrators, was going to be removed. And not by somebody else's hand, but by his own hand as he signed into law this decree. Well, what is the lesson for all this? The lesson is that God uses adversity to get the attention of those who are powerful. When there is nothing they can do about something, they are more open to God. This is, you know, when you think about people who are in positions of power, people who are used to being in control, why do they need God, right? I mean, they got their smarts, they've got their armies, they've got their treasuries, they've got all of this and that, and so they have no need for God. And that's how they think. And a single order from them and everything changes. Everything is done according to the way they want it done. So how does God get people's, get the attention of people like that? He puts them, he puts a situation on them. He puts some calamity or some adversity that they, where they are not in control. Because that is the way that God will reach out and touch them. This seemed to be an operating procedure of God. You remember in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel chapter 2, when the dream came, Nebuchadnezzar was helpless. There was nothing he could do. God said this was going to happen. And then in Nebuchadnezzar's futile attempt to force three young men to bow down to his statue, there was nothing he could do. Why? Because they stood up to him and they said, we're not going to do it. You can throw us in the furnace. And if you throw us in there, God may deliver us. He may not. But either way, we're not going to bow down to you. Man, that must have been very frustrating for a control freak like Nebuchadnezzar. You're not going to do what? (laughs) You're not going to, you're even under the threat of death, you're not going to change? No, we're not. That must have caused him to pull his hair out and anything else he had that was removable. And so this is King Nebuchadnezzar. Then Nebuchadnezzar has the mental breakdown and he, and, uh, he becomes like an animal But he comes to his senses. He had no control over what was happening to him. Now, he had control. There was a year that passed between the time that it was prophesied that he was going to go through this. He had time to change, but he chose not to. So what happens is Nebuchadnezzar comes back, and sure enough, the test goes through, and he is turned into literally an animal. But it's God's doing, and it's God's judgment upon him. 
Now, King Belshazzar, he couldn't control a hand from writing a message on the wall. He couldn't do it, even though he was king. Even though he had a banquet going of a thousand people, he couldn't order anybody up there to stop that hand. That hand just kept on writing. It's kept on going. You see, he was helpless. What's the point? The point is that God uses adversity and calamity in the lives of people who want to be in control. You take them into a situation where they are not in control. Does that have an application for us? You bet. What is it? When we see people in need, we see them in trouble, we see them in adverse situations, don't run away from them. Run to them. Don't run away from them, but run to them. Now, you're sitting there, you're saying to yourself, are you kidding, Pastor? Do you know what my life is like? I've got so many irons in the fire. I can't get myself immersed in another problem, people's, another person's problems, you see? But you see, that adversity, that trouble that that person can be in might have been put there by God so that you, people like you and me can go to them. It's a wonderful opportunity to be the presence of God in the people's lives right at that particular time. Become aware of, of, um, of people's weaknesses and adversities that they go through. Uh, be aware of them and, and show them the love of God and show them the power of God. Show them the presence of God. Now, you might say, okay, how do I go about doing this? Okay, people don't sometimes, they don't like you messing in their business. Okay, people are very private, you know. Well, you can do it this way. For example, you can start by listening. Perhaps you see a coworker at your place at work, and, you know, lately they just haven't been themselves. They've been very quiet. They've been very moody. They've been very sensitive, overly sensitive. And maybe, you know, you catch them in the, in, the, in, the, in the break room or something. You sit next to them, and you just say, you know, are you okay? I just noticed that some things are a little bit different in your life. And would you like to talk about it? You know, they'll say yes. They'll say no. They'll just say, get away from me. I don't know what they'll say to you. But that's okay. Just reach out to them gently and then start listening. And then you don't really even have to give them an answer at that point. You don't have to give them an answer. Just say, can I do one thing for you? Maybe they'll say, what can you do for me? And says, well, if it's okay, can I pray for you? You know, in all of people's troubles, no matter how much they don't like God or they like God, I've never had anybody turn me down for prayer. Because they always say, wouldn't hurt. Wouldn't hurt, right? Okay, and so you just say, I'll pray for you. You don't have to pray right then and there with them. Maybe perhaps in the quietness of your own of your own place, you can do it. But just tell them that you're going to pray for them and then follow up gently and lovingly. Don't force yourself upon these people. They're, remember, they're control freaks and they're getting <laughs> they're out of control, you know, and so they'll be very sensitive. So go to these people. So the point is. Don't run away from people in adversity. Run towards people with adversity because you can be that very thing that introduces them to God. And so God reaches out to people through personal calamity and adversity. That's one of the most common themes whenever I've talked to people. How did you come to Christ? Well, let me tell you, Pastor, <laughs> I was in this pickle. I really had, I was up to my eyeballs in this, that, or the other. And God came in and rescued me. The stories are very similar. Details are different, but the stories are very similar. 
So secondly, the sto- the, our story progresses on to confirmation or affirmation. Verse 19 through 23. When uh, Darius uh, um, put Daniel in the lion's den, it, the story doesn't end there because he really was very concerned about how this was all going to turn out. In fact, he just couldn't wait to see how this would turn out. He was really motivated to discover Daniel's fate. So in verse 19, Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den, it says. And he was really excited about trying to find out what was going on. And then when, uh, when he got there, he was just overjoyed at what he heard. What did he hear? Look at verse 20 to 23. When he had come near to the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, I expect at that point, for dramatic effect, there's probably this long silence, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you know, uh, king, the, the king, uh, king Darius was not really sure what would happen, okay? And so he just sort of, in a troubled voice, you know, kind of maybe stuttering a little bit. He says, did your God save you? Did your God deliver you? And then look at verse 21. Then Daniel spoke to the king. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also toward you. O king, I have committed no crime." Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found in him because he had trusted his in his God. Wow. Daniel's response must have been music to his ears. Must have been music to his ear. His dear friend was saved. His dear friend was saved and delivered. And it says here that he dresses the king and he says, My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me. Why? Three reasons he gives. Because he found innocent before him and he was innocent before uh, the king, Darius. And verse 23, because he had trusted in his God. Those three reasons were why he was delivered. Now, that's an awesome thought. What are some of the thoughts that are concerned in there? It's interesting. It's interesting that Daniel did not say, because I was innocent before you. Hey, I'm not guilty. I'm not guilty. You know, Daniel could have made a big thing about that. But what did he say? He says, I was not guilty before him, before God. And I was not guilty before you. Notice the order there. It was very important to God, to Daniel that he was clear before God, and then he was clear before men. That was his priority. And he says, God has chosen to to, to deliver me, and because I trusted him, he has done so. We talked last week about character and conduct. We have very little control over circumstances. You might think you do, okay? You're sitting there and you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm really the big... I'm really the big chief at my work, you know. I have control over everything, you know. But really, in circumstances, we don't. 
You ask people who are in the banking business, you ask people in any kind of business, they'll say, yeah, I, I can't control people coming into my store or going out. I can do little things, but ultimately I can't make people come in and I can't, you know, uh, and buy my stuff, you know. But what happens is that we can control our character and we control our conduct. And Daniel did exactly that. And so when he was delivered, he could say with great confidence, I was innocent before God and I'm innocent before you. He was that strong on that and he trusted God. Well, what was Darius's reaction to uh, Daniel's response? It's found in verse 23. He said he was very pleased. He was very pleased. And he immediately ordered that Daniel be pulled out of the pit. And we find here that um, this was a wonderful time of reunion. This was a time of coming together. And then in verse 24, it tells us that Darius orders his accusers and their families to be thrown into the pit in verse 24. And so it says in verse 24, the king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now, at first you might say to yourself, you know, um, Darius must have been really a meanie, okay? He must have been really a means, had a mean streak in him. Actually not. He was being consistent. That's what kings and despots did in those days because they didn't want to keep looking over their shoulder and worrying about some vengeful uh, some some assassin or some member of the family who was seeking revenge upon them. And so the easiest way to do that is wipe out whole families. And that's what he did. Okay? And so Darius's reaction was one of extreme, but it was still one that was important. What's the lesson here? God used Daniel's encounter with the lions to affirm his existence and power. That was what happened. How would Darius know that Daniel's God was for real? How would he know that this God had the power and the ability and capability of rescuing those who trusted in him? Except that Daniel had to go through it. Daniel had to go through it. God confirms and affirms he is alive by delivering those who trust him. So... By application, as a believer, we accept God's testing in our lives. We accept those uncomfortable moments when everything looks lost. We accept those moments when we are down and out for the count. We accept those moments when we are looking up at bottom. Why? Because God uses those moments to introduce himself to other people, to show that he is real and that he has power that is beyond what any human can do. God knew this and he demonstrated this in the teachings of other writers in the Bible. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter was writing to those who were being persecuted and those who were being extremely tried. And look at what he said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while... It is, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
how would we know that God is for real except that we see him in action? See? And that's how it is. God reaches out to people, and he's maybe through a calamity, through an adversity in their own life or somebody else's life, and then he affirms that he is for real. And so what happens is that there are people who are watching and waiting to see if God will show up. And oftentimes, God has a message for those who question his existence. And it is often written in the journal of your life and mine. That's how God gets the message across. How is anybody going to believe that God is for real? Except maybe they see God working in your life and mine. That's how it works, you see? And so that's how God reaches out. People are moved in different ways when they see how God responds to how we respond to the trials and tribulations in our life. Well, that raises a very good question. Because the question would be this. Does God always show up in such a dramatic and positive way? Is there always a happy ending for those who trust in God? Good question. Good question. So if you or I are trusting God, can we expect that all the time, 100% of the time, there will be a happy ending? that there would be a happy ending. Well, let's see. If you look at, for example, we won't read it, but if you look at Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, and the reason I I, I saw this one was because it was one chapter in this great book. But in the chapter, there are two different people. Two different people, their experience is recorded. In verse 2, James, the brother of John, is... Killed by the sword. Not a happy ending. Killed by the sword is not a happy ending. All right? He did not have the happy ending. He did not have this marvelous, uh, miraculous delivery. But Peter, he is miraculously, starting with verse 6, he is miraculously released from prison. Suddenly his shackles drop off. Suddenly he walks past the guards. They don't even see him. And everything has all the marks, fingerprints of God. You see? In one chapter, two outcomes. One chapter, two outcomes. In your life and mine, all of our lives here in this room, there can be different outcomes. All right? There could be different outcomes. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 through 40, we find that some of the saints were martyred for their faith. There was no happy ending for them. Look at verse uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36. And it says this, and others experience mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about uh, in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Not a happy ending. You see? Can God show himself in such a miraculous way, in such a glorious way? Yes, like he did in Daniel. But he can also show himself in other ways as well. So the point is, God affirms who he is through the lives of those who trust him. And that's why it's so important that you and I continue trusting the Lord at a deep level. Because people are watching and waiting. 
Well, the story concludes then with verses 25 through 28. Our story ends with with a confession or admission. What happens after God reaches out uh, through personal adversity and and then affirms himself to people. What what happens after that? Well, this is a this is what you hope will happen. Darius confesses the supremacy of God. Verses 25 through 27. 25 through 27. And if you look and read this, it says, Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land. May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Why? For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has, these, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions, he says. Wow, that is quite an admission. Why is it such a big deal? Why, why is that such a momentous decision? Why is, why is this confession so important? Because number one, Darius was king for a day, so to speak. He was God for a day. God little g, all right, for 30 days. And here, God, with a little g, was pointing to the God, big G. And he was saying to him, don't worship me, worship him. Don't worship me, worship him. That was a big, gigantic step in his life. And so he he goes on and and he reflects on this admission. He says that God is alive and that God is eternal and that God is supreme. He has absolute leadership. One commentator pointed out, you could take these very same words, this confession, you could drop it into Psalms, you could drop it into Proverbs, you can drop it into almost any book of the Bible, and it would fit as a perfect description for God. You see? He came, Darius came to the realization that God was real. That God was real. Well, How does this this, uh, set with us as a lesson? Darius admits and acknowledges the supremacy of God as the one true and living God whose sovereignty and authority is forever, it says. Now, when someone acknowledges the existence of God, then he must learn how to connect with this God. How are you going to connect with this God? You know, the Old Testament oftentimes was in preparation for the New Testament. Not everything that God was ready to reveal is given exactly the same way in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, for example, you had the prophets like Isaiah and others who kind of uh, gave hints about a coming Messiah who would die for the sins of the world. Things like the Isaiah 53, so on and so forth. Okay, so he had different prophets. But they never really came out as strongly as the New Testament. The New Testament turns around and says, and it has all been fulfilled. In Jesus Christ, it has all been fulfilled, you see. And so we can't say at this point, was Darius converted? Was he saved? I don't know, he's pretty close, I would, I would say. He acknowledged the existence of God and the supremacy of God. And that was the first step. 
But now that we live in New Testament times, it's important for us to show people how to be connected with God. And where does that start? Well, you can start with John chapter 14. John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verse 6, it says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Whoa. So you mean if I'm going to be connected with this God, I acknowledge there's a God. Now how am I going to get connected with him? It has to be through Jesus Christ. Well, what did Jesus Christ do that was so special that Jesus could say, no one comes to the Father but through me? What was it that he did that was so special? Well, you can go to many places in the Bible, but one of the clearest places is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 5. Listen to this. For I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried and that he raised from the and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Now notice here, what are the two special things that Jesus did? First of all, he died for our sins. How do we know he died? Because he was buried. You don't bury live people, all right? Normally, you don't bury live people. So he died. He actually died, and he died for our sins. Why did he have to die for our sins? Because the greatest problem between us and man is not our disbelief, or you know, it's an, it's our sin. It's our sin. God is over here. Man is over here. And there's this huge gap in between. This is called sin, rebellion. The disbelief would be one of those. Okay. And so, how is God and man going to ever get together? Through Christ. Christ died on the cross to provide the bridge so that we, God and man can walk together and be together once again. Okay, but he had to die for our sins. He had to remove the sin problem. So he died for our sins and was buried. And then he rose again on the third day. Now, why is the resurrection so important? Now, many of you, your faces, I've seen you at Easter service. <laughs> you know this already, but some of you maybe don't. Maybe it's not as clear. But the fact that Jesus rose from the grave was proof that the payment for our sins was accepted by God. You see, if God did not accept the payment, Jesus wouldn't be alive. There would be no need for Jesus to be alive. You see, it would mean nothing. But the fact that he was alive brought it. It also proved that what he said was true, that he came to give eternal life. And he, how, how, that he had conquered death. How did he do that? By rising from the grave. You see? And so Jesus fulfilled everything that he said, and God accepted it, and God affirmed it. And so once you come to the point of acknowledging the existence of God and the supremacy of God, then you have to be connected to God, and that connection comes through Jesus Christ. So what are we going to do? What are you and I going to do? Well, we're going to make sure that people acknowledge God as who he is, and then they will turn around. we will turn around and help them connect to this God. By sharing with them the gospel. God hopes to bring those who didn't acknowledge him to do so and to connect with him by receiving Christ as their savior. You see, and when that happens, we go, we move from being hopeless to being hope-filled. Okay? That's what happens in that process. Well, is this going to make a difference? How would this make a difference in your life? I don't know how many of you in this room today 
have ex- ever accepted Christ as your Savior. Maybe you haven't even acknowledged God as being who he is. For you, God is just a myth. God is just a figment of man's imagination. He is just something that man made up in order to get through life. It's kind of a narcotic. It's kind of something to ease the pain, take the edge off, perhaps something like that. But then have you ever thought that maybe this present uh, adversity or calamity that you are going through is God reaching out to you? Maybe God's trying to show that you're not as much in control as you think you are. You're not, and, and that your need for him is greater than you think it is. And so God's reaching out to you through some kind of calamity in your life, some kind of adversity in your life. And he's brought followers of Christ or believers into your life to help affirm God's presence and power. Now, the question is, will you respond by confessing uh, God as who he is and that you want to be connected to him? You see, that's the issue. That's the issue. And then if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, perhaps God wants you to submit to him and allow him to introduce himself to others through you. Through you. You see, the Christian life doesn't end. The witness doesn't end. The purposes of God doesn't end when you accepted Christ as your Savior. I'm sorry. <laughs> you might think, you know, all, all the life is about is me accepting Christ and sitting back and waiting for heaven to happen. You know, that isn't so. Because God has many people that he wants to introduce himself to, and he wants you to be part of that process. When we think about this whole business of uh, uh, being used by God, if you look at verse 28, you go back to verse 28, and it didn't fall into everything else so neatly, and I wondered about that, and then I looked back and said, no, it does. Look at verse 28. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, this is a tremendous encouragement. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's a stage of my life or whatever it is. Maybe it's where my mind has been lately, you know. Uh, um, And uh, I'm not quite sure. But if you notice here, Daniel was always successful. He was always successful. He successfully introduced God to people. And he introduced it to Nebuchadnezzar. He introduced it to Belshazzar. He introduced him to Darius. And he introduced him to Cyrus. So much so that Cyrus released the Jews and said, go back to your homeland and rebuild the temple. In fact, I'm going to pay for it. Charge it to my account. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? You see, Daniel was successful. Now, here's the encouragement. Are you ready for this? Okay, here's the encouragement. When Daniel started off as a teenager, he was devoted to God. When he was 80 plus years old, like he is now here, he was used by God. You see? That taught me that there's no expiration date on how long God will use us to bring glory and honor to him. You see? If you open my wallet... There's a Singapore ID card, okay? I don't go anywhere without it. (laughs) I carry that thing with me all the time. And on that ID card, there's an expiration date. And sometimes I catch myself looking at that expiration date because I want to make sure I didn't pass it. (laughs) And there's an expiration date. There's a shelf life. With God, there's no shelf life. 
on how long you and I can introduce God to other people. So whether you're young or you're old or you're in between, God can use me, he can use you, he can use all of us here in this process of reaching out to people. Reaching out to people with calamities and adversities and trials in their life. God could use us as a way for people to see the reality of God and the supremacy of God. Then they'll come to a point where they too will confess with their own mouth that God is for real and they want to be connected to him. So I hope that as we close this off, that you truly will take time to go back and reflect on these six chapters. Go back and look at the snapshots. Do you see your picture in that snapshot? Do you see pictures of people you know in those snapshots? How will you act and how will you react? God's waiting on you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the tremendous encouragement that it gives to us. That, Father, we can entrust our lives into your hands. That, Father, everyone on the face of the earth, whether rich or poor, whether powerful or powerless, whether we have a lot or we have a little, that, Father, you are reaching out to us. Oh, Father, I pray for that dear one, who is struggling with this whole idea, God, do you really exist? That, Father, they will come and confess with their mouth, just like Darius did, that this is a true and living God. And I pray, Father, that they'll get connected with you as soon as possible through Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for those of us who do know you as our Savior. Father, let us be ambassadors for you, Let us be quick to introduce you to others. Whether it requires us to go through some hardships, whether it requires us to go through some testing, it's okay. But you can use us as you see fit. Oh Lord, bring glory and honor to yourself. In Jesus' name.